You're listening to the Long Box Crusade podcast, episode 39. The OG, the original Long Box, where it all started. And on this episode, we're going to feature Tomb Raider number two, cover dated January of the year 2000. Thirty-nine episode of the Long Box Crusade. Like I said, it's the OG show. This is where it all started. I love Long Box Crusade episodes, guys. I'm excited to be here. I am your host, Jared Albrick, aka the Death Probe, aka the Yard Sale Artist, aka Pip Destro, aka Hot Thing, aka Felix Slider. All right, most of those were stolen from Bell. The Long Box Crusade is a podcast where. Each episode, a random cover month and year is chosen, and then an issue is selected from one of our crew members' comic collection. This time it happened to be me. And we're going to summarize, review, and reminisce about the issue, the ads, and the events of the time period from when this book was released. Joining me for this episode is, of course, my brother from my actual mother. It is Jason the Weasel Skull Albrecht. Jason, do you have a crusade, and can you put it into 10 words or less? Yes. And no. Nice. <laughs> I think you got one of those right. <laughs> I think I got both of them right. <laughs> huh. hmm. All right, Delvin. <laughs> got a crusade. Ten words or less. What you got, bud? Amazing Spider-Man. Five issues left. Oh, that's right. Delvin is five issues away from a full run of Amazing Spider-Man. Yes, sir. Absolutely. One, two, three. Nine and 16. So not quite what an hole would have as his combination for a suitcase. <laughs> but close. It's a Spaceballs joke. Double's on fire tonight. <laughs> that is good. I want my turn back now. <laughs> okay, Pat. Current Crusade, 10 words or less. I, I'm frozen here. I didn't try to think of it. Forgot we did this on this show. That's like, that's like seven. That's like seven. <laughs> Three words left. It's cold. All right. It's cold. He's trying to survive the winter. And that is his crusade. Trying to survive winter. It's cold. That's six. There you go. There you go. <laughs> I made it. So I brought uh, a little Tomb Raider, right? We're going to talk about that. It's also my current crusade. Trying to get the full run. How that's many it. are you close to it? close uh, i think there was 50 in this first run that's going off of memory i'd have to look but i, I want to say it's 50 and i think i have about 35 of them so i'm getting Will there, there be any like impending danger or doom as you get the last 15 possibly hmm. you have to let us know about it maybe I'll let you know. <laughs> I'll let you know. i will let you know so yeah i had the full run back in the day i collected it off the shelf I probably did something stupid like sell it. And then I was like, now that I'm fancy, you know, you know what I'm going to do with it when I get the full run. 
We all know. Sell it? No. <laughs> Has to do with Tim Benson, Omaha Bound. Oh, yeah. And Tim Benson on the show and talk about it. You're going to sell it to Tim? Yes. Damn it. All right. <laughs> we don't do innuendo on this show. Speaking of the show, we invite you to be a part of the show by submitting your comments, memories, which we might feature on a future show. All links and pictures for this episode are in the show notes, which can be found at the website longboxcrusade.com. As always, we'd love if you add this podcast to your favorites. No matter how you're getting it, we'd love for you to stick around and be part of the LBC family. And you can always check us out at Longbox Crusade, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube. And of course, voicemail. You can always leave us a voicemail. We love voicemails because they're easy to put into shows. We can hear you right on the show. 707-532-5269. 707-532-LBOX. Pick up the phone. Not bad. We hope you come along with us on our crusade to read them all. Now, before we get started with this episode's issue... Let's take a quick podcast promo break. We will be right back. Monthly, monthly, monthly. It's Action Film Face Off. Hello, I'm Jason the Weasel Skull Albrick, and I'd like to tell you about a podcast I do with my brother, Jared Albrick, the yard sale artist. Action Film Face Off! Yes, thank you, Jared. Action Film Face Off is a podcast where my brother and I, who are both military combat vets... Jason was a Navy SEAL! Jason was not a Navy SEAL. Jason was a military intelligence wing. But anyway, in each episode of Action Film Face-Off, we select two different action films. Some of them have Chuck Norris. Technically speaking, none of them have had Chuck Norris yet. But it could happen, because we use a randomizer set between 1970 and modern day to select our two films. So you'll always get two films, each from a different year. Our randomizer has spikes on it! We use a Google random number generator, so it does not have spikes on it. And we put the films into our video dome arena. It also has spikes. It does not have spikes. <laughs> but we discuss the films and score them through six different rounds of criteria. I score Bond films very high. Okay, that's true. But anyway, by the end of the episode, we crown one of the action films the champion of action film face-off. Next episode, Jason fights a bear. Jason is not fighting a bear, but please give our show a listen. We're part of the Longbox Crusade Network of Shows. Pat Samson killed a man with a sword once. I can neither confirm nor deny that statement. But you can find us on iTunes, Google Play, and most podcatchers under Longbox Crusade. Or you can subscribe to just our show by searching for Action Film Face-Off. Come see the blood fly! And that's Action Film Face-Off. We do, indeed, invite you to come and see the blood fly. I just said that. Welcome back from the break. Today's adventure for the long box is Tomb Raider, number two, cover dated January 2000. The credits for this issue are provided by, well, me, because this run isn't on Mike's Amazing World. So this is why I found out. Tomb Raider number two is published by Image Top Cow. It's cover date, January 2000. It's on sale date. I don't know. Got nothing. Cover price, $250. Editor, Matt Hawkins. Uh -uh. Writer, Dan Jurgens. Penciler, Andy Park. 
Inker, Jonathan Sabal. Letterer, Dennis Heisler. And colorist, Jonathan Smith. And if you Google Jonathan Smith, good luck with that. This was reprinted in Tomb Raider, Saga of the Medusa Mask trade paperback, and Tomb Raider magazine number one, which I have. Also soon to be reprinted in the hardcover by Omaha Bound, one of one on my bookshelf. Cover credits are as follows. The penciler is Andy Park. The anchor is Jonathan Sybil. The colorist is Jonathan Smith. And if you have the magazine edition, the cover was done by Adam Hughes. Speaking of the cover, let me tell you about it. You want to hear about it? Here it goes. The Tomb Raider logo is white with black highlights and a stone effect. Laura peers over her sunglasses at you in her corner box. The main action shows Laura swimming through a reef with plenty of aquatic wildlife around her. And I have to wonder, is this cover a nod to Tomb Raider 2, the video game? This is Tomb Raider issue 2, and in Tomb Raider 2, you start a level with no air or anything underwater trying to find your way, which is exactly how she's depicted on the cover. Just a little video game trivia for all you out there. But speaking of the cover, let's find out what you guys thought about it. We will start with Pat. Just your general thoughts. Sir, this is a long blast here, so you don't have to go worry about scoring it or nothing. You can just tell me what you think about it. Yeah, I know. This is awesome. I love it. It's all back. Yeah, I love it. You know, I, I do like the Tomb Raider logo there. That's one of those logos that looks, you know, iconic. And you know what it is. And with Laura, this is a very well-drawn cover. I like it. It got action, makes you wonder what's happening to her. Is she going to make it to wherever she's swimming? And, you know, does she just always wear that shirt and shorts all the time? Or what's going on? I don't know. But I want to find out and open it up. And that is interesting what you say about the cover kind of being what happens in the video game. So, Yeah, I was just recently finished a playthrough of the original one and two. And I remember that very cool level in two where you where they just you were in the bottom of the ocean, no air tank. You have about two minutes to find <laughs> find which way you're supposed to go and find a pocket of air. So it definitely had that feeling. I thought, what that was part two. This is issue two. Yeah, interesting. Was it by design? I don't know. Jason, what do you think about this deep sea aquatic cover? Well, full disclosure, I was never really a big video gamer. So what I know about Tomb Raider and Laura Croft, I really just kind of learned from like you, Jared, and and my kids. But I think this really, in my perspective or my understanding, really captures the the feel of the character rather well. I think Pat's 100%, the iconic Tomb Raider design on top looks great. I love the blues and the greens and the aquas and, and how the colors really make the, uh, give it that undersea effect. That looks cool. I like Laura and that determined look in her eyes as she's swimming right at you, coming out of there with the menace of the sharks in the background. As far as the cover goes, I don't know how you could get much better, you know, encapsulating what's going on with the story, as well as all the elements that make her a cool, iconic character. I have to agree. It's a pretty good cover. Delvin, a lot of positive vibes on this one. You feeling positive on this deep sea cover? Nope. This sucks. Ah, there's always one. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, that that was that was out of pocket. I, I should not have said that. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's a good cover. As a matter of fact, when I first saw it, I thought it was very striking, and I thought that Michael Turner drew it. So I was surprised that Michael Turner did not draw it, and it was uh, Andy Park instead. So I don't know if I know anything that Andy Park has ever drawn before. I'll add this. Like, you know how in 
Was this a night? This wasn't a nineties book, was it? This was like right at the two thousands. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's January of 2000. Is this? Yeah. I mean, right at the dawn of 2000. So like, you know how the nineties books were where like you had the women with like waists that were impossibly thin, but somehow had like an enormous, let's just say rack of lamb. And it's like, and, and they were like, like segmented, like praying mantises or something. And it looked like not real, but this isn't the case here. Like I, I look at it and Laura Croft just looks like a super fit athletic woman. And so I appreciated that. I thought that that was cool. And all the aquatic wildlife around it just added to it. And I didn't play any Tomb Raider, even though I remember seeing you run around in a circle uh, shooting a, a pop gun at a Tyrannosaurus. <laughs> yeah, I'm guilty. I've done that a few times, yeah. <laughs> yes, uh, but it just shows that you know, she's a woman of adventure. That's kind of what I got from this. Like she's in the water and she's doing something like just super cool and she's a little bit cooler than you and she is. I, I've never been in coral reefs doing cool stuff like this before. So it was a very likable cover, very well drawn. Yeah, I'll agree with all my friends here. I think it's really cool. You guys did mention the the title font, and I think it's neat that the bubbles go in front of it, and a hand goes in front of it, and a shark, so it gets a little bit of a 2.5D perspective. And I agree with everybody else. Just great coloring, great image. I like how she's got that, I think Jason mentioned, the determined face. And you know dang well if we were underwater with that saltwater water, we'd be like, ah! <laughs> but she doesn't, she doesn't have the ah! <laughs> Saltwater does not affect Lara Croft, clearly. Have swimmer's ear for the rest of the weekend. It would just be right? terrible. Just, ugh, ugh, sand everywhere. <laughs> All right. Now it's time to get into a synopsis of the story found within. And uh, for Jared, this is kind of a lengthy one, which I know is going to make Jason happy. So uh, everybody <laughs> sit back and relax. Yes. yes. <laughs> get into a Lara Croft tomb raiding kind of mood. Recap page tells us that Laura has gone for a deep dive from her yacht to check out the last known location of the Medusa mask in a sunken old ship. And while diving, her yacht was sunk and her air hose was cut. Some scuba bad guys find Laura, which is bad for them because her notorious survival instincts kick in and she kills them all and battles a few sharks. But as she sees her yacht sinking, her thoughts turn to the family butler and bodyguard Compton. Laura's worried he may be dead. But when she breaches the surface, she sees the ever-competent Compton escaped via the Croft helicopter, which he uses to rescue Laura once again. Using a clue that she found in the sunken wreckage, our heroes head to Tibet to track down a contact that can lead her to Carver, a fellow treasure hunter and former boyfriend of Laura's. No sooner do they arrive, they are attacked and their car is crashed. Laura finds her contact and said contact is promptly murdered. And the issue ends on a cliffhanger as a mysterious stranger, okay, it's probably Carver, steps out from the shadows to put a knife to Laura's throat. 
So nice yeah. alliteration in there, Jared. Yeah, That's I good. made that hard on myself. <laughs> I don't know why I did that. So once again, we are in a long box crusade. It's not exactly a chronicle, so we don't really have to worry about scores, stories, highs or lows or what the. Okay, we do have to talk about stories. Delvin, you get to go first. Just your overall impressions of the story, my friend. I have a confession to make. I just got back from uh, my in-laws, and my in-laws are uh, movie and TV connoisseurs. They watch a decent amount of movies and TVs, and they put on uh, Indiana Jones, Raiders of the Lost Ark. I know. Glad you're sitting down, Jared and Jason oh, and, and Pat. You, you know, <laughs> wow. Surprised. So, like, out of sheer, like, will and spite, I ignored most of it. <laughs> Got to stay true to who you are. I have to stay true to who I am. And then one day, like, I'm going to sit down and watch the movies and actually watch them, and we're going to podcast about it. I, I know this is a thing that's going to occur at some point, so I'm kind of saving it. But I bring all of this up to say, wasn't this Indiana Jones? Couldn't you literally pluck Laura Croft out of this and put Indiana Jones in it? And would it be the exact same book? Pretty much, yeah. Laura Croft is kind of the lady Indiana Jones. Absolutely. I don't okay. know if I've ever seen Indiana Jones wear shorts, but yeah. <laughs> Do you remember back, at the, back in the day when Wizard used to do the, the duel? They would write a story with an artist, mm-hmm. and, and they would have like a fictional duel. They did one with Indiana Jones versus Laura Croft. Hmm. Well, and I'll just add, if Indiana Jones has legs like Laura Croft, he absolutely should wear shorts. <laughs> 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 uh, but that's my main thing that I wanted to say, just reading it and seeing how she got in and out of adventures like she did. It felt very familiar, even like paying the half attention that I was to the Indiana Jones that was going on in the background, reading this comic book, I'm like, this felt like an Indiana Jones comic book. And I have read an Indiana Jones comic book before. So a few. So yeah, that's exactly what it felt like. That makes total sense. Cause they're both treasure hunters. They both go to crazy archeological digs and find mystical things. And yeah, it's the only difference is Laura Croft has several good video games and Indiana Jones has like two, (laughs) <laughs> there are some good games. They weren't as good as the Tomb Raider games. So yeah, I guess it's the unfair. Yeah. Like overall, like, did I enjoy playing the Indiana Jones video games? Yes, I did. Welcome I, to Comics and Console Crusade. I'm Jared. This is my buddy Pat. <laughs> I, I, yeah. I would say, you know, it, because of Tomb Raider, we were able to get Indiana Jones games. Yeah. It was kind of surprising that we really hadn't had any other than the PC game, which was yeah. the one with Atlantis. And it's a very different style, if I remember correctly. It's yeah, not as it was more point and click. Yeah, it's a point and click and it's not an adventure base. But anyway, uh, is Joe November here? We could start doing the whole <laughs> video game. <laughs> Pat, it's your turn to talk anyway. So your thoughts on the story that you read in issue two. You know, I totally agree with what Delvin's saying about this. You can really just replace her with Indiana Jones and you have the same thing going on. And you could probably even with, you know, Alan Quartermain as well, too. Uh, when you when you kind of think about that, they're all that kind of a adventure style, go anywhere, you know, like you said, you know, travel the world and you see all these exotic sites and all that. But what I really liked here is, and it's maybe some because I haven't played a lot of the games, so I don't know how they go back into characters like her parents and the butler. You know, this made me really appreciate the butler like yeah this guy's got like a cool backstory 
that I want to know more about is like, you know, is he James Bond? Is it what's going on here? He, he's got looks skills. like the butler did do it, right? Yeah, <laughs> somebody had to say it. I'm back on it. <laughs> I just like that that the story that goes on here, and you can it builds that character relationship between Laura and him that makes you, you know, almost sad to like, oh no, I hope he didn't die because I want him to be around her. You know, when he got he got the arrow in the back, I'm like, man, that guy better not be dead because he needs yeah. to be around. Yeah, he's very much he seems worth. Yeah, he seems very tough. I don't think an arrow in the back is going to be enough to take him out. That's my guess. I hope not. I hope he's the type of guy that just like has something underneath the vest, but then has like packets of ketchup everywhere, so just in case it hits him in a wrong spot. That at least you know the packet of ketchup explodes, so to make it look like he can, you know, just to play possum or something like that. I think if he dies, he's penny worthless. Am I right? (laughs) (laughs) Well, he is pretty tough because he came straight out of Compton, right? Yeah. Right. Yep. yep. (laughs) That's true. That's That's right. Name is. (laughs) Hmm. Anyway, uh, just a fun fact. I think the only time a butler is mentioned is, uh, or to any extent, is in Tomb Raider Two. And if you do the run around Laura Croft's manner says like tutorial level. He literally level. just tries to follow you everywhere, carrying a tray of tea. And he's like this real daughter. Oh, man. okay. And pretty much everybody would do the same trick. Cause it, it got annoying that he followed you everywhere and you'd walk into the walk-in freezer and he'd follow you in and he'd walk out and close it. <laughs> then he was trapped <laughs> in the and I want to say his name was Winston in the game and not Compton, but whatever. I, I think they're really just trying to, you know, it's one part Indiana Jones, except she's wealthy. Yeah. And so then you got that one part Bruce Wayne lifestyle, right? So yeah. that's where Compton fits in, yeah. I think. Yeah. The the other thing I like is that, you know, the storytelling, I thought it was going to be like, oh, it's Tomb Raider. It's going to be kind of cheesy or whatever. You know, it's going to, it's a cash grab going on. But no, they got Dan Jurgensen to write this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Once I saw them, I'm like, oh, well, this is pretty good. It makes me want to go back and read the first issue and the other two issues after this to figure out where this thing goes. With him writing it. I have to definitely recommend Tomb Raider magazine number one because it has issues one and two. And in the beginning, it has an interview with Dan Jurgens, which I found to be interesting. So that's a little bonus content for you there. Speaking of bonus content, Jason, you haven't got to talk on the story yet. Well, right off the bat, I can tell that Laura Croft has nice delating stories and a sweet assembly of weapons. And uh <laughs> no in all seriousness i thought it was actually very entertaining it opens obviously from the cliffhanger one which i didn't read but you kind of get the sense of what's happening laura's yacht sinking she's in a lot of trouble ends up with just a really well drawn and scripted action scene underwater i'm with pat i was really interested in the character of compton he Kind of reminded me of the Pennyworth, you know, from the Pennyworth uh, series there. Alfred Pennyworth, our dear, dear friend. And, you know, I think it left you again on another cliffhanger. And I'm wondering who the Carver character is. There's obviously some history there, some romantic history between Laura. And I wonder if this is going to be a frenemy or a sometimes friend, sometimes foe type of situation that we're going to come across here. That's an interesting dynamic that I'd like to know more about. So all told, and I think that it's it was a really well-done, self-contained story. Laura seems very competent. 
She's an interesting character. I think what makes her different from Indiana Jones for me is she honestly comes from extreme wealth and privilege. So she's got a butler. She's got a yacht. She's got resources. She's got just massive wealth. So she could probably just hire out a bunch of you know folks to go do this stuff for her and just kind of, hey, find me the Medusa mask and bring it back. But she's obviously got some sort of thirst for adventure. She's driven by something and she's not uncomfortable in, you know, uncomfortable situations. Uh, I mean, she's she's perfectly uh, capable and comfortable of going to kind of dicey areas and remote countries. And she's obviously had a lot of contacts with a lot of people around the world, some of dubious, shall we say, um, legality. So just a very interesting character for me, and I'd like to know know some more. All right, I'm just going to tack onto that, just adding, once again, some video game knowledge, since I'm such a big fan of the series. It's very interesting how they, when she first started, she was very much a I do this for fun kind of person, as you kind of see here in the video games. And then when they they did it about six, seven games, if you count Angel Darkness, which nobody does because that game was not, this is the low point in the series. After that, Crystal Dynamics took over, and I and that would have been not too long after the comic book series. And I think they saw the value in making her a more layered character instead of saying, "Oh, she's just bored and she's really tough and she's cool," you know. Um, so in that series, they kind of lean more into. They do talk about this plane crash that killed her mother, and here it killed like her whole family. But in the, in this one, it was like her mom. Basically, she found through some archaeological digs and some notes from her father that there was a way to basically get to the other side and find her mother on the other side of death through some, I want to say it was Excalibur was involved. And anyways, so I thought I said that was neat where that way she has more of a reason for the treasure hunting, the adventure. She's trying to put these puzzle pieces together to find her mom and see if she can bring her back, which I think we all know is a fool's errand as Laura will find out in that storytelling. Spoiler alert, if you play the video games, yeah. but. <laughs> but it explains that. And then they rebooted again after that three game series. Then they rebooted again, starting in 2013 and they took her back to when she was young. It's a lot more like that more recent movie. And that was neat storytelling. So th- those games show you where she learned these skills, where'd she get these survival instincts and all that stuff. So sorry to turn this into a video game show. I just did a nostalgia talk on this. <laughs> I play these games all the time. I'm really into it. No, it's so. interesting, though. Yeah, because otherwise she could just be like a Richard Branson type of character, you know, just like and oh, that's how yeah. she started. It was just like, oh, I do this for fun, whatever, you know, like I got money and I'm bored and I like to find cool stuff because my dad used to do it. She's it's developed a, over time. Yeah, it, it is amazing to see something like this property go from a video game to comics to movies like that. And so it makes you wonder, did they... Did they really think it was going to kind of get this big for them? And so now they have to, you know, you said like maybe fifth, sixth game in now they're got to, you know, they got to figure all this stuff out where mm-hmm. before it was like, Hey, we're just going to make a game where, right. You know, you're going around shooting things and you got to jump and. Uh, yeah. It really was, it was just a groundbreaking game that came out in like 96. So it'd been out about four years by the time the comic comes out, you know, it's just a groundbreaking game in style. And, and then they were just like, I think they'd released four or five games, but this came out, they were like more product, more product, more product. And I think when that six, is it the sixth or seventh? Uh, somebody out there will correct me. Six, the angel of darkness game, PS2, that one kind of failed. I think that's when they realized, okay, we've got to, 
we got to look at stuff like this comic book series and, and maybe the movies and, and make her more layered. And now you got me wondering, because I know in the second movie, she hooks up with that other treasure hunter guy who was a little bit smarmy. And I'm wondering if that was Carver. And he was played by Daniel Craig, by the way. He was, yes. Um, I can't remember if his name was Carver or not. It's been a while since I've seen the movies. Anyways, I will go on and on. Y'all, there's a nostalgia talk where I talk about it. <laughs> it's like 20 <laughs> minutes. All right. Go listen to that. We got to talk about this comic. And I think, I suspect one of the high points for all of us is going to be the story art. And Jason, you get to go first this time. Overall opinion of the art you found inside this book? Overall, I thought it was excellent. You know, the 90s books kind of had a, sometimes they could overdo the art and sacrifice some of the storytelling, kind of shortcut the the panels. It does a really good job of, as I'm just flipping through it here, just laying out the, the action sequences up front. Then you have a beautiful splash page that just looks awesome which i think we we all know what we'll be picking <laughs> when when that segment comes <laughs> that's coming up soon but everything is just really clear you see the action is not confusing it's just beautifully rendered with the colors you kind of have the first arc has the those those blues and greens and then the second half starts going when they change countries you get more orange and yellows and browns so even even the colorist is just really on point here and yeah, I I don't know what else to say other than really good uh, facial expressions. That's the other thing. The facial expressions are well captured throughout here. Um, the shock on Laura's face when uh, Compton gets shot is, you know, that's really good. The look of desperation is they're getting strangled in the car. I love this one panel I'm looking at with Compton and her head on his shoulder. Uh, you can really see that endearing quality between the two of them. Just all together, a really good artistic package for this book. Well said, Jason. Delvin, you get to talk next about your impression of the art in Tomb Raider 2. Andy Park and John Sybil? I think Jason covered most of it. Here's what I will say. Top Cow, the you know image offshoot, they gave it their best effort, right? Like, if you start a book and you can get Dan Jurgens onto the book, and Dan Jurgens is a legend, and then you find a credible artist like Andy Park. Like, I don't think, I, again, like I mentioned, I don't think I can name any other book that I have seen with Andy Park's name on it, but his artwork is quality. It, it matched the pacing of the book. You needed Laura Croft looking athletic and dynamic and capable. And she was, I mean, my God, I mean, that underwater scene where she off the guys or or they were in the car and she immediately is like, no, punch on it. Run into something in this car because we have air air brakes, airbags. We have airbags and they don't like just so you needed somebody that could draw that kinetic art. And the art team did a very good job of it. So I'm complimentary of the artwork. You could tell that Top Cow was definitely trying to entice readers and they didn't just get a named property like Tomb Raider and just dismissed it offhand. Well said. Yeah. We are going to look at ads a little later on, but you could just tell by the ads, some of the talent they were putting in these top cow books. There are names, you know, in there, David Fitch, Joe Benitez, Gary Frank is good stuff in top cow in the year 2000. That is for sure. Pat, you didn't get to say what you thought about the art. What do you got, my friend? I'm just going to agree with everything that Jason and Delvin said. Really like the panel layouts in here. If you kind of look and study the panel layouts in here, 
it tells the story, the pacing, it helps you with the pacing of the story. Uh, very well done. And, you know, the coloring, I want to talk a little bit about the coloring because this reminds me of reading GI Joe, the devil's do this has got that, you know, late nineties, two thousands colors, computer coloring that's going on. It's just bursting with, with color, <laughs> you know, not that flat kind of washy out color of the eighties, which wasn't bad and, and nice at the time, but this is just something to it just pulls me in all the time when I see these, these comics like that. So it really complements the story and Jason, Jason mentioned it, you know, it's the color palette that were being used, the blues and the greens for the, the water area. And then they moved out of it. And then you had that orangey and yellow when they were in another area, just awesome. Really nice to look at. Yeah, I'm going to take that color thing one step further and give a lot of props to John Smith on this. I want you guys to notice something that I've definitely learned in creating comics, especially when you draw women's faces. And a great place for, you could go to pretty much any panel, but a great place to look would be, Jason mentioned, where Laura puts her head on Compton's shoulder in that sweet moment. The page right before that is a close-in shot of her face. and this So it's a great example. Women's faces. As a penciler or an inker, every single line you add to it for to try to add detail makes them look older. And throughout this book, and I just picked that one panel, you can pick almost any panel of Laura. If you strip away the color and just, um, just look at the line art, there's very few lines. So what I'm trying to say is Laura's face especially is carried by the colorist through the whole book. And that's a brilliant little cheat because like I said, every... Every line of detail you add as a penciler or an inker makes, especially women, it makes everybody look older the more lines you add. But especially women, it just ages them faster. So it's really brilliant use of color on her face. And the other prop I want to give to the colorist, if you go to the page where she starts to fight the sharks, especially at the point where she's like bringing the blade up to the shark, she's got her fist in the air. Look at the light on the shark. It looks exactly like light looks underwater, the way it yeah. it crisscrosses and all that just these guys are on top of the game and especially the color we don't talk about colorists a lot but the way that that john smith was able to carry her face so they can make her look very youthful and beautiful and colored cover detail via color it's hard to say and uh, especially the light effects he did underwater i don't think i've seen anything better all right it's that time of the show where we all are walking through a convention and we see mr andy park and he's got original pages from this book and he says, you long box guys, you can have a free page if you want one. What are you going to take? Pat, it starts with you. Well, I am going to choose the, let's see, the page where she is starting to fight them underwater. Uh, actually, it's the one after that where she she's still underwater and she's got, you got the knife. You can see the frightened guy's face in that knife, a mm-hmm. close up of mm-hmm. her face. And then bum, they bum, start to bum, tussle. Bum, 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 bum. Thunderball. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh. Actually, this fight was more licensed to kill. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's I'm, a great page. I, I really like that reflection of the dude in the knife quite a yeah. bit. And you got to love the guy in the background getting eaten by a shark. <laughs> yeah, that's a little low. You had to take a second look and I go, oh, yeah, he's getting. <laughs> Jason. Well, Pat took mine, so I'm going to go. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> <clears throat> well, see, I thought you were going to, I was going to leave the the bigger, you know, the two-page split. No, I was trying, I was trying to faint you out. I was, I was trying to faint you out there, Pat, but you didn't, you didn't bite. 
No, I'm gonna go with the I'm gonna go with the one where she's fighting the shark, and then it ends with the the last panel is the sinking yacht. I think that the the shark and and Laura and uh, the sinking yacht it just all screams Tomb Raider to me. So I'll take that one and hang that one on my wall. I like it, Delvin. I'll take the opening splash page after they do the introduction where Laura like looks like she's being left for dead while the um, the enemy, the bad guys, are swimming towards her with malice and ill intent. I think that's a good-looking page. It is, and it's interesting, too, because we've seen enough Bond movies to know that you should never just assume he's dead, right? So that kind of applies here. You shouldn't assume she's dead, but if they had just mm-hmm. left her alone, she would have died because she got her oxygen yeah. from them. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's true. That's a good point. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's a quandary. Good. It's a bad guy quandary. <laughs> <laughs> gotta see if she's dead you can't just let her just lay there because maybe she would have escaped but she would well, i mean what could she have done yeah. good point <laughs> by showing up they basically saved her oh my goodness yeah i think you guys picked a bunch of good pages yeah i like all the pages you guys picked just for a variety's sake i'll i'll toss in the last page i really like the guy stepping from the shadows the knife to the neck her facial expression is really cool you know, it's like a, it's an absolute cliffhanger page. And I think, oh, my God. Oh, oh, what's going on here? You know, so I'll go with that. It definitely makes me want to read the next issue. All right. The final round before we take our next break is does this bring back any memories? Tomb Raider 2 memories. Hmm. Delvin, you get to go first. Jan 2000. Whew. Second Lieutenant Delvin Williams. I was still training out in Vandenberg Air Force Base at the time. Yeah, just about to graduate undergrad space and missile training there and finding out that I was going to be going to Colorado Springs uh, after one more uh, round of uh, classes out there. So it was kind of an interesting, fun time. Like, uh, had a good group of friends, I think. You know, we're all students, like, not knowing anything and just trying to figure our way out. It was my first time being an adult and I was away from home. Like, you know, you're kind of an adult in college and having to figure things out a little bit, but mom and dad are close for the most part. Mom and dad ain't close anymore. Not for me. I was in California. My folks are still in Alabama. And so having to figure things out and having to just live off of my own paycheck and stuff like that and figure out how to have a good time uh, and yet still (laughs) pay rent. Pay them bills. Oh, no, I'll pay them bills, man. I had to split rent with my um, roommate, Chris, at the time, who Jared met at one point. Uh, so, yeah, uh, man, yeah, 2000 was uh, the start of something. And and that's that's actually pretty cool. You know, uh, it's not my term, but my story is basically like Delvin's. <laughs> I was finishing comm school at Keesler Air Force Base, and I had just made a very good friend. His name is Joe Thomas. You Joe may know Thomas. him as Joe November Whoa. on the, on the <laughs> network. This is where Joe and I became friends, late 99 to 2000. So this will always fall into that wheelhouse for me, just to have that lifelong friend and Joe that I had, you know, and he's contributed to the network. And uh, so I guess I'll just associate it with Joe. And then the clear association for me with video game version, I will not go into that. Please see the nostalgia talk episode that is available. Uh, it's probably already been on the network for a little while by the time this comes out. So uh, go through our back catalog. You'll find that Tomb Raider nostalgia talk. And with that, memories, Pat. Just like Delvin said, you know, I was probably a few years into 
uh, living with my wife at the time. You know, I, I, we were engaged to be married. And boy, January 2000, my daughter was three months old at the time. So, you know, fresh fatherhood is going on right now <laughs> and not getting a lot of sleep uh, with the new with the new baby. Yeah, man, that's been quite a long time ago. And with it, you, it doesn't feel that long, though. No, it doesn't. No, <laughs> in some no. ways it does. In some ways it doesn't. Yeah, to think back now, it's like, man, they're, you know, I got a 23-year-old daughter right now. And holy cow, where is the time gone? But also, too, with Tomb Raider, you know, it reminds me of, man, getting this game, seeing people playing like, oh, I got to get this game on PlayStation 1 and play this Tomb Raider game and getting mad because I couldn't make certain jumps or whatever. It's like, oh, piss me off. Uh, and just to see where it goes, I mean, um, just fun uh, Tomb Raider. I still want to get back to it and, and play some Tomb Raider again. Just to say I beat them. That's what I got to do. I got to get, got to say I got to beat these games. I like your attitude, Pat. All right, Jason. Ooh, 2000. I'm strapping 29 years old. I'm stationed at, uh, I'm still stationed, still stationed at Third Army Headquarters at Fort McPherson in Atlanta, Georgia. Got the book nook. Still hitting up the book nut. Wings and Fish. Oh, man. Wings and Fish. That's one of those great Atlanta restaurants that's like, it wouldn't pass any health code, man. There's like so much grease on the floor. You just ice skate, like you just grease skate up to the counter. You're like, <laughs> give me 10 hot and a Coke. And the Coke was free because I was in uniform. It was great times. Yeah. Yeah. I've got a one-year-old, one-year-old Drake. Got a five-year-old grant and uh yeah life's pretty good and i'm i think i was actually collecting this when it first came out because jared was saying oh this is really cool and i like dan jergen so i figured i would give it give it a go great times man memories <laughs> like the corners of my mind <laughs> misty watercolored memories of the way. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thankfully that brings us to the end of this part of the show. As usual, if this has spurred some sort of comment or question, drop us an email, contact at Long Box Crusade. And of course, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube. It's all Long Box Crusade. 707-532-5269 for a voicemail. 707-532-LBOX. Every time's the first time. We'll be right back. Siskoid's blog of geekery is Doctor Who, Babylon 5, Animation, Comics, Toys, Godzilla, Star Trek, Cats, Crypto, Role Playing Games, Battle Shovel, X Files, Music, Podcast, Board Games, Jack Kirby, Alien, Movie, Kung Fu, Dinosaur, and so much more. Siskoid's blog of geekery. 10 years of content, more than 7,500 posts. Still going strong at siskoid.blogspot.com. Welcome back from the break. Let's continue on with the show. And we're going to move into one of our very, very, very favorite segments. Now it's time to scan through the featured issue of Tomb Raider 2 for the ads that stood out to us in a segment called Add It Up. All right, here are the ads that set out to us in this issue. And fair warning, people, it is like lots 
lots of house ads <laughs> and stuff like that. So it's not, you know, no hostess pies are being sold here. So I'm telling you, there's no uh, flea market ads, anything like that. So Jason, you get to go first. Oh, well, Delvin, I get to go first. So you know what I'm picking? I'm just kidding. Delvin already claimed it. So I'm going to go, I'm going to pick a house ad. And it's the house ad that has Rising Stars, Darkness, Fathom, Witchblade, Tomb Raider. Just for the nostalgia of it. I think Top Cow, you know, they had their moment in the sun and it was a glorious moment. These were some really cool titles, really creative titles with great artists and writers. Delvin and I were talking earlier before the show about Rising Stars and how unfortunately it kind of lost its momentum. It became a falling star as it took longer and longer for books to get out. And you asked at the beginning what our current crusade was, and I made a tongue-in-cheek joke. But at the time, I was reading Rising Stars and really liking it, but it took so long for books to get out that I, I kind of stopped. I fell off. It had been so long, I'd forgotten what had happened last time, so I just kept throwing the books in a pile. And to this day, I have a collection, a full run of Rising Stars, and I've said, I'm going to read that collection one day and just read the whole thing. And uh, have not done it yet, but that day will come. You know, you and I have that in common. I've finally read through mine. I want to say it took like two years to get the last two books out or something like that. It was weird. Like the very end got especially long. But I've made the journey. I've read all the Rising Stars. <laughs> okay. Well, don't spoil it for me. It's all right. I can't remember. Delvin, what ad stood out to you? I wasn't here when you claimed your ad. So before you go, I want to talk about what's on the back cover which I'm guessing was the ad that you wanted to do. I think that's the ad everybody wanted. It was, <laughs> it's Austin Powers, the spy who shagged me. And at this point, like basically all the Austin Power movies ran together, but I mean, they're just, they they all were just, I mean, it's probably the best stuff Mike Myers made. And I, yep. And I know Wayne's world was like mega popular and everything, but Austin Powers, there's just something about like the whole zeitgeist of it and how he captured like this goofy agent that like, rang true of James Bond but like at this point you know also rang true of ah uh, what's uh what's Rat Pack James Bond's name oh um uh, oh uh yeah. the silencers Matt Helm this, yeah Matt Helm yeah like I mean he was kind of more Matt Helm right like like well, a even, bit. even some of the Jimmy Bonds from Casino '67 is mixed yeah, in. There. A, yeah, yeah, a little, a little bit goofy, a little bit offbeat, you know. But like, but touching at the same time. That plus Doctor <laughs> Evil and everything, just absolute iconic comedy. I mean, and they were events when they came out, and I kept kind of hoping that, and still hope really that they would come out with an Austin Powers four, and just let. Seth Green run with it as Scott Evil. He would he'd kill it. Seth Green is hilarious. Like and, and Lord knows Mike Myers ain't doing much anyway. Like, let him come back and do. I think it'd be a good movie, personally. I thought Spectre was a parody. No. <laughs> <laughs> he totally needs to do this is what he needs to do. All right. He needs to make the movie intentionally with a different studio and make it a riff on Never Say Never Again. Like he's older now. <laughs> That's oh, funny. yeah, that'd be funny. <laughs> and and funny. even if they have to lie and pretend it's under another studio, that'd be awesome. <laughs> like, nine of us Bond fans would be in on the show. 
Oh, you know, I got to piggyback off Delvin too, because I mean, not only is it it's an Austin Powers ad, but just for the zeitgeist of the year 2000, let's go a little deeper. Bring it home today on VHS and yep. Platinum Series DVD. So this is that that crossover period. And let's go one more line down. America Online keyword. <laughs> get <laughs> Austin. Yeah, <laughs> 2000, baby. 2000, y'all. Yeah. <laughs> 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 I just think that's amazing. All right. That brings it to you, Pat. There's not a lot left to pick up because there's lots of house ads, but what are you going to go with? Yeah, I know. Jason took one and Delvin took the other. Um, so I'll just go with a, a house ad that I just kind of find interesting, never read it. And that's the the Magdalena mm. one coming in spring. Um, you know, My wife is a big fan. She read a lot of that. Really? Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. She even got a, like a, two or no, probably close to three foot poster uh, signed by Joe Benitez when we went to wizard world. Cause he was the artist on that. The oh, art looks great. Good. It yeah. looks, yeah, the art looks great. And you know oh, me, good. I like that sorted sorcery kind of a uh, stuff going on here that, you know, I, I dig that. And so that, that's what kind of hooked me on it, but never read it. So interesting. If Johanna has liked it, it might be something to, for me to look into. Yeah, she really dug it. Um, you know, it spoke to her not only as a comic fan, but <clears throat> she's a Catholic and has clearly a lot of Catholic okay. ties to it as well. Um, although that's not, you know, yeah, it's not the overwhelming part of the book, but she's kind of like this, you know, Catholic warrior who who fights the beasts of the night, you know, type of thing. Oh, you know? okay. Yeah. So kind of a neat, you know, crossover. Kind of like a blade, but for yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, like a sexy blade. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, not that Wesley Snipes isn't yeah, sexy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. No matter yeah. respect, no disrespect to Wesley. <laughs> <laughs> Just different, different things, you know. Different but. things, different strokes for different folks. Yeah, I have to acknowledge this ad in here because it appears twice, and one of them features Laura Croft, and one of them features Shodan. Yeah, Shodan. I don't know. Both ads are for www.yougodirect.com. More games for less. I'm guessing it's a video game sales site or something like I, it's not a great ad. Cause I'm not exactly sure what, <laughs> I don't know what that showdown means, but the more I look at that reminds me of like system, system shock. shock. Yeah. Yeah. That's don't exactly know the eyes look like system it. Shock. Maybe that's what that maybe it's from system shock, but both as one features showdown possibly from system shock. One features Lara Croft and they both talk about real life sucks. Go to www.yougodirect.com. And I'm like, I never what? heard of that. What are you selling? Is that like an early Steam <laughs> I think or it's something like, where they have online subscriptions? Maybe. That's what I, I thought. Maybe it's like a place to buy video games for cheap. Uh, or are you downloading them? Is it for PC? I don't know. <laughs> help us out, listeners. <laughs> we need I, some help here. YouGoDirect.com. I never used it. I don't. couldn't tell you. But I thought it was in, that piqued my interest because I'm like, I don't, I don't know. I guess I could have Googled it. <laughs> we don't do research for the show. <laughs> Laurel. <laughs> All right. Not a lot of ads to uh, go through in this one. So the segment has come to an end. If you want to talk about the ads or help us out with that, you go direct.com thing. As usual, email us at contact at longboxcrusade.com or, of course, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube. It's all at longboxcrusade. Now let's get into segment three. And what is segment three? It's way back in time. Once again, it is time to take another revealing peek back into history. What famous date shall I set it to today, Mr. Peabody? January 2000. Got it. 
Okay, guys, it's time to take a look at what was going on in the wide, wide world of everything when this book was on the shelf. It's January 2000. The distant future has finally arrived. What is in the news? Pat, pick a news story. So January 13th, Microsoft chairman Bill Gates steps aside as chief executive and promotes company president Steve Ballmer to the position. So you have the big guy of Microsoft stepping down after a good decade or more of him owning the company. You wouldn't want him to be a Gates keeper. <laughs> nope. <laughs> Jason. All right. I'm going to go with the January 17th, the 27th American Music Awards. It's Shania Twain and Will Smith win. And I was going to ask, was that for Men in Black, you think? But Men in Black came out like 96. This would have been Willennium. Yeah. Yeah, this would have been in the. This would have been uh, getting jiggy with it. Yep. yep. um, I know that one. uh, Miami? Miami. Yes. Welcome to Miami. That was the other big track off that album. I knew you guys would know. And I think at the time he was married to. Wait, let me keep her name out my damn mouth. Keep my wife's name. You know what this (laughs) (laughs) Delvin, you're up. Smack. I was like, um. On January 9th, Miami Dolphin quarterback Dan Marino wins his last career NFL game, a 20 to 17 win versus Seattle. I picked that one because my boy TJ is a huge Miami Dolphins and Dan Marino fan. Laces, Laces out, Dan. Laces out, Dan. <laughs> we, we couldn't come off of mute fast enough. <laughs> uh, some sort of joke about isotoners. All right. Well, that one took mine. Now I'm sad. You know what? Here we go. January 4th, American businessman and investor Mark Cuban purchase a majority stake in the Dallas Mavericks NBA franchise. I think he still owns it to this day. I maybe he does. Okay. But he here's does. the part that I thought was particularly fascinating. So January 2000 is when that happened. But who did he buy it from? H. Ross Perot Jr. Hmm. I didn't know that Perot owned the Mavericks before him. <laughs> I, I didn't either. And you know what he did with them? Nothing. Hmm. Nothing. Terrible. Yeah. Awful. Uh, I mean, they were literally a laughing stock of a basketball franchise. Are you going to let him finish? Are you going to let him finish? <laughs> when when he was playing, uh, excuse me, when he was running the team, there was a giant sucking sound. <laughs> <laughs> All these political jokes from way back. They're landing so well with last year on the show. <laughs> I find them hilarious. I can't believe we got two. <laughs> we got two. Wow. How did we do that? All right. Anyways, you know what, guys? Let's go to the movies. Your top three movies for January 2000. We'll go back around. Pat, you can start it at number three. We'll go back around the horn. All right. Coming in at number three was Down to You. It's a romantic comedy that grossed around $20 million. I don't know what that's about. I got nothing on it. Yeah, I got nothing. I got nothing. Anybody else want to drop an I got nothing? Pat to add in. I got nothing. Let's go to number two, Jason. Oh, let's see. What was number two? Who does number two work I, I for? I do not want to talk about it, actually. <laughs> oh, it's My Dog Skip. It's a drama. $35 million plus. Is it a sad story, Jared? It's a sad story. Oh, oh you look sad right now. Man. Let's move on. It's one of the saddest things. <laughs> does, does it got the kid from uh, Malcolm in the Mill or yeah, somewhere like that? Okay. Yeah, I think I never watched it, but I, I can remember the trailers, I think, for oh. it. Guys, Skip don't do it. it Unless you want to get wounded, don't do it. <laughs> Skip this one. Oh, I mean, it's good, but that last couple minutes, you're like, oh, God, no. 
Let's go to number one. Let's light this up. Come on, pep it up, Delvin. <laughs> We, I, I absolutely will pep it up. Making almost $60 million was next Friday, the number one movie of January 2000. And that will lighten up the mood because that movie was hilarious. Oh, yeah. That whole series is good. Like, I remember thinking, okay, that was one they did a sequel and they did it without Chris Tucker. I do believe. And it was like, I don't know if that's going to work. And it totally worked. <laughs> yeah, they, um, they brought Mike Epps on Mike Epps, instead. Yeah. And it still was funny. Still Top was hilarious. Security of the world. Yep. All right. Good job, fellas. And with that, let's go spin some compact discs or maybe some mini discs. I think they were popular right around this time. Who remembers mini discs? DJ Pat might. I do. When I got some, I got a stack of mini discs that I still have my mini disc player. I love it. Yes, this segment's going to be awesome because Jason never knows this. <laughs> I'm looking at him and I'm like, I'm in trouble. All right, we'll this go. This is always so depressing to me because you guys have a good time. You're all like singing it and I'm like, <laughs> I'm pretending I'm like lip syncing and trying to, I'm well, just good. totally phoning it in. <laughs> good news is, Jason, of the three, when I just look at them in black and white print, I only know one of them. So we'll start at number three. We'll go the other way. Delvin, pick up number three for us, please. I don't know number three, uh, but the number three song uh, that was according to Billboard at the time is I Want to Love You Forever by Jessica Simpson. I'm not trying to be cool and say I don't know. I just don't remember it. I bet if I heard it, I'd probably I, know. It. I do not know it. Maybe, yeah, maybe the same, but I don't that, know it. No, yeah, this was one that I was like, I bet you I probably know it, but. I keep thinking don't about I Love You Forever, Amen. I think that was Randy Travis. Yeah. <laughs> that's what, uh, I keep forever, forever, that's, yeah, that's, that's forever, forever and ever, Amen. amen. As long as old man sitting talk about <laughs> oh, yeah, Jason, Jason, dude, up Jason, hey, I know this one. Gosh, dang it. <laughs> Jason, dude, number two, which I feel like if I heard, I'd remember, but I can't off the top of my head. Uh, it's called Back at One by Brian McKnight, and I'll let you fellas take it away. Who's got it? One, it's like a dream come true. Two, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it's part of you. <laughs> Three, it's plain to see that you're the only one for me. Yeah, yeah, let's yeah. go back. <laughs> yeah, like I, I, yeah, I, I remember the song. Yeah, that one right. sounds familiar. We started back at one. I think that's yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. a big, big bell ringing. But this one I do remember. <laughs> Pat was number one. <laughs> oh, this one coming in at number one is. Smooth by Santana and featuring Rob Thomas. Just like the ocean under the moon. I know this one. You couldn't go anywhere in California without hearing that song. It was popular. Oh, yeah. It feels, I still think it's really good. Yeah. It's I mean, really it's a great good, song. You got a good guitarist and Rob just, Thomas you know, the Rob Thomas phone, which is a, a yeah, you can't even say like, you have a legend in Carlos Santana. Like, and for the first time, because most of the albums that he came out with were, you know, like, uh, he, I, I may be wrong on that, but I don't. I think this was one of the first albums where, like, the entire album he came out with like popular artists of the time. Mm-hmm. Like um, Rob Thomas was one of them, and it was just a mega hit. And he continued. He did a couple more albums, I think. Carlos Santana, legendary guitarist. Was he on Turn Your Lights On with Everlast? 
Leave your lights on. Yes. Yeah. Yep. That was a good jam too. Mm-hmm. I like that one. Yes, it was. Yeah. Oh, good stuff. Good stuff. And Jason even knew one. I got one. I I went two <laughs> out of three. Thanks to Delvin's help with back at one. Sorry, Jessica Simpson. We just we I don't I don't remember. I bet if I heard it, I would. With our apologies to Jessica Simpson, this brings us to the end of this part of the show. You know how to get in contact with us. You should probably do that. We'll be right back. <laughs> We got it all together for a brand new show. The LBC crew is here and so away we go. While the LBC crew is running from a spooky ghost, Christopoulos is doing what he does the most. Hey, come on, get involved to the mystery is solved. Hang around with the LBC crew. Oh, <laughs> Hey, come on, get involved to the mystery is solved. Hang around with the LBC crew. That's the podcast. LBC crew. Welcome back from the break. Now, let's get to the feedback part of the show, where we share your comments, emails, questions, likes, and shares in a segment called Crusader Comments. We are thrilled to kick off these comments with special shout outs to our Crusaders Club members. These are the fine folks that have joined our crusade. They enjoy early access to special long box episodes, voting to help determine show content, and so much more. These are the folks reaping the benefits and giving some much appreciated support to the show. And Helica Wolf. Ow. 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 Auburn Elvis. Lost it or stash it. Braxton Underwood. Captain Entropy. Clinton Robinson. Dave Collins. Battleway. Ezra Gallo. Gary V. Gene Hendricks, Gerald Green, Jason King, Jason Lady, Jeremy L, Jim Jarman, Jim Jarman, Jim Jarman, Jim Jarman. I hope you like Jim Jarman too. I do. He's a good friend. Jim Neal, Joe Thomas, John Watson, Josh Strickland, Candace Ward, Captivating Kathy Bright, the MVP, Mark Ross, Maxwell Traver. Miranda W. P.D. Devins. Paul Hicks. Rick from Jeff and Rick Present. Rob Morgan. Ryan Daly. Samantha Maney. Sean Urbanski. Spidey 67. Steve Cronin. Spreadsheet. Tim Price. Tony Pennington. And the Toronto Cop. If we missed anyone on our list, we apologize. Please keep in mind that we record these episodes well in advance of release. So if you're a recent addition, we should be adding you soon. But still, no worries. Just let us know that we missed you by sending an email to contact at longboxcrusade.com and we will get it straightened out. As a reminder, you can become a Crusaders Club member by heading over to patreon.com and searching for Longbox Crusade. For as little as $1 a month, you'll get access to the amazing world of the Crusaders Club. Come check it out. Don't have any extra scratch lying around, but still want to help us out here at LBC headquarters? Please take a moment to write a review on Apple Podcasts for this podcast. Even if you just want to keep it short with Just Star Ratings, it helps raise the profile of the show, and we will share your review on the next show. We will now talk about social media shares and retweets from Longbox Crusade Episode 36, featuring Avengers Issue 221 from July 1982. 
Fan Film Fridays. Dropping that retweet. Doc Strange. Dropping that retweet. And again, it's Tim Price coming on down to drop that retweet. Also dropping a retweet. Van Allen Plexico. And my favorite retweet of all the retweets is the Dame, Deborah Smith. We'll move on to social media comments from... I'll take one from Michael LaRue. Don't forget it came with ID card that readers could affix their picture to. And it's, he says, pretty cool. And then he uh, gives us a little picture of the ID card, the Avengers Priority Identification Card. And I believe Van had the same one. Van did. Van felt very cool. And I got to admit, I was a little jealous, too. Man. I was, too. I was, too. All right. I'm just going to keep going here, and I'll take this next one from Ruben Morgan. And just to put it in context, we were talking about the Avengers issue that had all the pictures of all the characters on the the front of it. And it was like, who's going to join the new Avengers? So Ruben says, I can't remember who they chose, but it would have been cool to see Luke Cage join back in the day. I couldn't agree more. Sweet Christmas. Sweet Christmas. I'll go ahead with uh, Greg Hurst. All of these are first timers, if I'm not mistaken, at least so far. Thanks so much, guys. Greg Hurst says, I had a UK printed annual that used this picture. Empty Invisible Girl Box always made me laugh. It was a pretty good gag. I'll take one from Steve Hopkins that says, but I'm not interested in joining your super secret boy band. Cuts me deep, Steve. The hell you say? Cuts me deep. Because <laughs> I think everybody, and I mean everybody. <laughs> yeah. 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 Oh, anyway, thank you, Pat. Ooh, you want me to rock my body, right? Yes. All right. Back. All right. All right. We have one from Craig Taylor, and he says, This was a good time for Avengers. Shooter decided it was time to renew the Avengers by bringing in new members. And that's what this was. This is a member drive. And Don Priola said, The Invisible Girl panel is inspired. And I couldn't agree more. That was a great panel. Great rendering of the Invisible Girl. And uh, we'll wrap it up with uh, Amichi Dick, uh, who says, Verily, I can see Rom. I want to know more. Been a long time since I've seen him. And yeah, I don't think Rom has ever been a part of the Avengers. And that, that'd be a very adventurous thing if he were, especially nowadays. Like, I like how they bring right any writer that comes on now. It's almost like if they just had their favorite Avenger, you know? They'll just bring them on and sort of make them part like the, the new Ghost Rider. I believe he's still a part of the current run of the Avengers. I mean, yep. that's pretty cool. Dude's going around in a freaking Cadillac or whatever, you know, just avenging folks left and right. Driving through space cool. and everything. It's awesome. Yeah. That will uh, bring it in. It was awesome to have all of the uh, new listeners come in and, and bring comments. We love reading those. So please, if you just decide to pick up this show, uh, Apple Spotify, anywhere you do podcatchers and you just want to leave a comment, please do. Uh, we'd love to read it here for the next time. Uh, you can call us and leave a voicemail as well. Eh, you know the number by now. You've listened to the podcast long enough. I'll repeat it one more time. 707-532-LBOX. And thank you to everyone for the likes, shares, follows, and comments. We appreciate your friendship and your help in spreading the word about this podcast. And that's the show. Be sure to check out the website, longboxcrusade.com, where posts will be made for journaling this crusade. 
Jarrett would like to thank Jason, Delvin, and myself for joining him on this episode. But before we go, let's find out where the listeners can find us all on the internet. And we will start with Jason. I'm still on that AOL dial-up modem, so best to just leave me an email at R-A-A-P as in Papa, H-O at Yahoo.com. Delvin? You can find me on Twitter, D-E-E underscore R-A-Y, 1977. Instagram at Delvin Ray, if you're looking for me on Instagram. What about you, Jared? I am at Yard Sale Artist. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. It's all at Yard Sale Artist. Check out my artwares at www.theyardsaleartist.com. What about you, Pat? Well, Jared, I'm glad you asked. I can be found on the Twitter at Christatos01. And if you want to interact with us via live chat and be entered to win some free stuff on our live raffles, join us on our next episode of Doing It Livestream over on YouTube. We do them on the second Sunday of every month, and we always start at around 3.30 p.m. Central Time. You can get signed up by going to Longbox Crusade on YouTube. While you're there, subscribe and click the bell so that you will get reminder notifications of when we go live or when something we are releasing is out. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed this episode of The Longbox Crusade. You got a comment or a question, email us at contact at longboxcrusade.com or leave a comment on the Longbox Crusade Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter, all at Longbox Crusade. Until next time, take care and please join us on the next episode as we continue on the crusade to read them all. The intro music is provided by musical genius Joe November. Check out his SoundCloud at J-O-S-E-F-L-I-N-9-9. You won't regret it. All songs, song clips, and characters discussed are copyright of their respective copyright holders, and no infringement is intended. We are just fans that like to share our love of comics. Outtakes. Cover dated January of the year 2000. In the year 2000. Oh, hey, everybody. I'm supposed to restart my computer now, apparently. <laughs> it's one of those nights. There's one LBC that hasn't been released yet. Yes, the Green and Lantern. And this one. So you, we kind of have to get the one that's been released yet and this one out before May, which shouldn't be that hard. Pat, what is it? Then we have the jailmate one. What? what? What hero did you say? Green Lantern. Yeah. What did I say? I, I mean, you said, you, know, you said it correctly. I was oh. like, you're like, yeah, Green Lantern. I'm like... Hmm. What? What the what? Mm. What do you think? Like green, people think, oh. like green lantern. Like, <laughs> yeah, you, like you, a, a, you do say green lantern. Green lantern. Yeah. 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 Green lantern. Uh, you know, Colossus. Colossus. Oro. Which leads <laughs> me Oreo. to Pandora. a couple of conclusions. I've been thinking about this way too much. So either it's a sad and tragic tale that Pat was reading these comics right, and he didn't have anyone to talk to about them because someone would have corrected him. Right, I or it's an even nope. sadder story that he did talk to people, and they were just like, "We're gonna let this motherfucker pronounce this wrong." 
for life. So and you know what? It's, it's probably the end. It's that part of it. And what's sad about it is it was my speech therapist that oh, I always would bust talk about to comics to. That. I would talk about comics to my speech therapist. They would say I was pronouncing the names right, but <laughs> oh, that's just wrong. <laughs> I hate it when you bring up the fact that you went to speech therapy. It makes me feel bad for picking on you for like six, seven seconds. I'm like, yeah. hmm. the first I time. I mean, I, I was. That was when was that? That was third, fourth grade, maybe. What were your challenges? I don't know. I think I, I probably colossus. Uh, <laughs> ours. They were colossal, colossal challenges. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they were pretty huge. Now, see, I've heard people from like the Midwest and say of say lantern, say lantern, lantern, and yeah. kind of mush it before. So I was, I don't never really bother me. <laughs> That's how we talk up here up north, eh? <laughs> All right, anyway, you guys. Carrie likes it. She she says, "Is it, is that really? Does he really have that accent, or is that is that just for the show?" I said, "No, that's him." Me? <laughs> yes. I don't got an accent. You all got accents. 